Hey guys, are you thinking about starting your own podcast? If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me give you the details. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Winston the Cat. Every other week, Winston and I will bring you a new story about a murder, disappearance, or serial killer with a special focus on cases from our hometown, the Pacific Northwest. Just a reminder, this podcast contains content of a graphic nature that might not be suitable for all listeners, including descriptions of violence, sexual assault, and crimes against animals and children. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to episode number seven, our spooky Halloween special. Winston and I are big fans of Halloween, so we decided to bring you two spooky stories from the Pacific Northwest. The first is a creepy urban legend from the Oregon coast, and the second is a murder with a paranormal twist from Tacoma, Washington. Before we get into our stories, I want to thank everyone who has listened to the show. We recently hit 500 plays, and we are so excited and so grateful to all our listeners. We love creating content and telling stories that are lesser known. We look forward to releasing more content for you all in the future. Now let's get to our stories. I have always been a fan of all things Halloween. It's my favorite holiday, and I love getting dressed up. I love hearing ghost stories, learning about haunted houses, and listening to creepy urban legends. So imagine my surprise when I came across the urban legend of the Bandage Man, which centers around the Oregon coastal town of Cannon Beach. I had never heard of this story before, but starting in the 1950s and 60s, rumors began circulating about the Bandage Man. I'm not really sure who the people involved were, but isn't that kind of the mystery of an urban legend? Anyway, the story goes like this. One night on a secluded road off of Highway 101, a couple was parked in their car enjoying each other's company, if you know what I mean. Apparently this spot was a notable lover's lane in the area where young teens were known to frequent. On this night, the couple was doing their thing 
when someone jumped onto the hood of their car and began rocking the car back and forth. The couple said the person, who they presumed was a man, was covered in bandages and the bandages were rancid, like rotting flesh. The two were obviously super freaked out by this weird smelly guy that came out of nowhere and started pounding on their car, so they decided to get the heck out of there. But as they drove off toward the highway, the man kept hanging on to the car, and he was still pounding. They drove for a few miles on the highway when suddenly the man was gone. There was no trace of him. As urban legends go, the story was obviously told to others and passed down through the generations. Over the years, other drivers reported seeing a man covered in bandages jumping into their cars. Couples who parked along the same lover's lane would report seeing a bandaged man approaching their cars, but I never saw any other stories about a man actually pounding on anyone else's car. So who is this bandaged man? The most popular theory is that he was a lumberjack who was involved in an accident while working at a lumber mill. His injuries were extremely severe, so he had to be covered in bandages, and he was taken away by an ambulance. Allegedly, when the ambulance was taking the man to the hospital, it was actually buried in a landslide, killing the driver. But the bandaged man disappeared from the scene and was never found. The legend has evolved over time. Sometimes people say the man eats dogs, and other people say the bandaged man has murdered several people. Neither of these things can be confirmed. As with most urban legends, nothing can really be known for sure. But you better believe the next time I'm in Cannon Beach, I'll be avoiding that area of Highway 101 at night. When I first started researching cases for this Halloween episode, I came across the story of Jake Bird. His crimes took place on October 30th, the day before Halloween. But that's not where the spooky part comes in. On October 30th, 1947, Jake Bird broke into the home of Bertha Clud. Neighbors called the police after they heard screams coming from inside the Clud house. When police arrived on the scene, they actually saw Bird leaving the house and chased him down before eventually catching him and arresting him. Right before he was taken into custody, he attacked the two arresting officers with a knife. At the Tacoma City Jail, Bird was interrogated and eventually signed a confession. He told police he entered Bertha's house through an unlocked back door. He thought it would be just a, quote, easy burglary, end quote. But for some reason, Bird decided he'd bring an axe into the house with him. So he took off his shoes before going into the house, and then he snuck into Bertha's bedroom. Bird stole $1.50 from Bertha's purse. When he turned to leave the bedroom, Bird was greeted by Bertha in the kitchen. He told her he just planned to rob her, and then he was going to leave. It's a little unclear to me what happened next, but at some point, Bertha's daughter, Beverly June, came downstairs into the kitchen, grabbed Bird from behind, and the two got into a struggle. Again, Bird's confession is a little light on the specifics, but he admits to murdering the two women. Based on the crime scene, police knew Bertha and 17-year-old Beverly June had been bludgeoned to death with an axe. 
Bertha was found in her bedroom while Beverly June was found on the kitchen floor. According to police, Bird had attempted to sexually assault Bertha, but Bird didn't admit this during his interrogation. Bird was charged with first-degree murder of Bertha. He wasn't charged with Beverly June's death. According to one source, this was actually a fairly common practice at the time and is still practiced today in some areas. In a multiple homicide case, some prosecutors will only file charges for one murder victim. In case they lose on that case, they still have another murder they can charge the defendant with. While prosecutors can try these murders together, they don't have to in some cases. And because they are different victims, double jeopardy wouldn't attach. It's sneaky and slimy for sure, but unfortunately it does happen. Bird pled not guilty to the charges. Jake Bird grew up in Louisiana and he left home at the age of 19. He worked as a section gang laborer for the railroad, so he lived a very transient lifestyle. Unfortunately, this allowed him the opportunity to stalk and murder women in the towns he was living in. Bird had a lengthy criminal record, including past burglaries, assaults, attempted murder, and murder. After he committed a crime in one town, he'd just move on to the next one. After a day and a half of trial, where the jury of nine men and three women heard testimony and evidence, including the fact that blood and brain tissue from the victims was found on Bird's clothing, the jury was sent to deliberate. They deliberated for a whole 35 minutes before finding Bird guilty of first-degree murder. They voted to impose the death penalty. On December 6, 1947, Bird was sentenced to be hanged. At his sentencing hearing, the judge allowed Bird to make a statement. Bird gave a 20-minute speech about how he wasn't given a chance to defend himself because his lawyer wouldn't let him testify at the trial, and he said his own lawyer wanted him to be sentenced to death. But the most famous part of his speech, the spooky paranormal part, was the very last thing that Bird said. Quote, All you guys who had anything to do with this case are going to die before I do. End quote. This came to be known as the Jake Bird Hex. More on that in a minute. The day after he was sentenced to death, Bird confessed to 44 murders spanning over 20 years. Police were only able to substantiate 11 of these murders. They believed Bird had more than enough information about the other murders to be the prime suspect in those cases. He confessed to murdering people from Illinois, Kentucky, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Kansas, South Dakota, Ohio, Florida, Wisconsin, Michigan, Iowa, and Washington. Because of these confessions, Bird was granted a 60-day reprieve from his first execution date to allow investigators more time to obtain evidence and information in the cases. Bird also filed an appeal of his sentence, but the Court of Appeals refused to review his case. He even challenged his sentence to the U.S. Supreme Court, but they also refused to hear the case. Bird's last hope was to be granted clemency but the governor of Washington at the time refused to get involved in the case, and he wasn't willing to grant Bird clemency, which, let's face it, probably would have hurt his political career if he had granted the clemency request. 
After all of his appeals were exhausted and it was cleared no further reprieves would be granted, Byrd's execution date was set. On July 15, 1949, Byrd was hanged in front of 125 witnesses. He was buried in an unmarked grave in the prison cemetery. The only identifying marker on the grave was Byrd's prison number. But don't think I forgot about the Jake Byrd hex. In the year following Byrd's sentencing and leading up to his execution date, six men who had connections to the case died. First, the judge who denied Byrd both the right to represent himself and the judge who issued the death sentence, Judge Edward Hodge, died on January 1st, 1948, of a heart attack. On April 5th, 1948, the Pierce County Undersheriff, Joseph Carpatch, also died of a heart attack. Just two months later, on June 11th, 1948, the court reporter for the case, George Harrigan, ended up dying of a heart attack. Tacoma Police Detective Lieutenant Sherman Lyons died of a heart attack on October 28th, 1948. And Byrd's own defense attorney, James Selden, died of a heart attack just one month after that on November 26th. The final death came just two months prior to Byrd's execution. A prison guard named Arthur Seward suffered fatal heart failure. So all six of these men who had crossed paths with Jake Byrd at some point all ended up dying of heart attacks before Byrd's execution, just like his hex had promised. According to one source, Byrd was extremely pleased when he learned about the death of these men. He felt these deaths were God's way of serving justice for him. Whether or not you believe in hexes or the paranormal, it's definitely creepy that all six of the men who had some tie to the case all died in such quick succession. And it's creepy that they all died before Jake Bird was executed. Obviously, the medical field wasn't as good in the 1940s and 50s as it is now, so it's definitely possible that all these deaths were just a mere coincidence. But it kind of makes me wonder how many of the other murders Bird confessed to might have been people that he put hexes on. I mean, if he put a hex on them and they ended up dying of something that seemed like natural causes, i.e. a heart attack, that might be why the other murders couldn't be substantiated. But... He also probably murdered all those people because he wasn't a good guy and clearly had a thing for murdering people. Most of my research said that he is considered to be the first black serial killer. And with 44 potential victims, he's also one of the lesser known but still prolific serial killers of the modern era. Thank you for listening to our special spooky Halloween episode. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can share your thoughts and comments over on our Facebook discussion group. Just search for True Crime Cat Lawyer in the group section. You can also comment on the social media posts for this episode over on Twitter and Instagram. And lastly, you can find a list of our sources for this episode on our website, truecrimecatlawyer at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Please subscribe and leave a review if you like the show. You can email case suggestions or comments to truecrimecatlawyer at gmail.com. And you can find us on Twitter at truecrimecatlaw and on Instagram at truecrimecatlawyer. If you're interested in learning more about my co-host, you can check out her Instagram at winstonthecatpdx. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned for our next episode.